What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to episode 96 of the Lombard Trucking Show. Thank you so much for being here. I know it's been a little bit. Uh, appreciate all the feedback that I've been getting uh, on the last episode, talking to that Gen-, Gen Z driver. I've been reaching out to more young drivers on TikTok. I've been finding these stories more and more valuable. There's a lot of interesting people on there. If you're a driver, if you're a broker, if you're in the industry, if you're on LinkedIn watching this and you don't have a TikTok, Get yourself on there. I know I've said this before. We know that it's Chinese malware, you know, uh, absolutely spying on us or whatever, whatever it's doing. But get on there because that's where all the drivers are. That's where you can get a lot of insight in the industry. And there's a lot of people telling their stories on there that I find valuable. Uh, been looking forward to this show for a while. Got an awesome guest I'm looking to bring on. Um First and foremost, though, before I get into his introduction, did want to say that there there has a list that's that's come out recently, the top 100 uh, trucking shows that you should be listening to. That's what the link said. And on that list, uh, this show landed at number 17 uh, in, in the wheelhouse around other very good trucking and transportation shows with my friend Aaron Dunn over there at Trucking for Millennials as well as uh, Ken of Let's Let's Truck. He's got his show. There's a lot of shows on there, a very prestigious crowd that I'm among, but I couldn't do that without you guys listening. So I do appreciate that a lot. But without any further delay, because this is going to be an amazing conversation, it's definitely one that's, it's been a long time coming. Uh, I first discovered this gentleman. He went on mutual friend of the show, uh, Gord McGill's show, The Voice of Gord. If you haven't checked out Gord's show, definitely uh, go ahead and check that out. He's just recently released an episode with the modern day philosopher, Michael Belser, who spent time in the trucking industry pre and post deregulation. Uh, he wrote a book called Sweatshops on Wheels, goes really deep into stuff regarding the Motor Carrier Act. Uh, he, the gentleman I'm about to bring on has been on several episodes of Gord's show because of his expertise on what we're going to be talking about with AI and autonomous technology. He's a uh, six-year Air Force veteran, Syracuse graduate, all-around phenomenal human being, very, very smart, and I'm honored to welcome to the show, Mr. James Year. Welcome to the show, brother. Hey, everybody. It's a pleasure. Glad to have you here, man. We, we are live right now, and I can't you can't see it in the view counter who's tuning in on LinkedIn and Twitter, but... Mm. Uh, Going live has definitely helped with the reach on the show, engaging with some comments. So if anybody chimes in, you've got certain specific questions, we'll try to get to them. But uh, with that, man, let's uh, let's uh, let's talk about it, dude. What's so what's your story? Where are you from? Uh, I was originally born and raised on a small family farm up in northwest Iowa. Um, <clears throat> yeah, wasn't a whole lot of opportunities for me up here. So like right after that, I uh, Joined the Air Force. I was a loadmaster on C-130s for about six years. Um, hauled a lot of international freight, kicked out paratroopers, um, all that kind of stuff all throughout uh, um, Europe, Africa, and the Middle East. Um, not so much paratroopers in the Middle East or anything like that. Uh, it's mainly training kind of stuff. Um, got out in 2014, um, then immediately went back into the college, seeing to get my degree with a post-9-11 GI Bill. Got a sociology degree over at the University of Iowa because, you know, uh, globetrotting over 40 countries in Europe, Africa, and the Middle East for a 19 or 18 year old farm kid was definitely allowed to see and allowed to process. So I figured sociology would be a pretty good way to put all that in context. Um, kind of fell in love with it. And then during that time, I picked up a camera while working at the uh, Daily Iowan. It's a student newspaper, but it's a 
pretty damn good one. Um, and I found a lot of success there and figured out <clears throat> or figured that um, I'm better with the camera than I am with anything else. I just ran with that ever since. So um, bounced around in a different school, Ohio University for a little bit. Then COVID hit, became a mailman. And now I'm up in uh, <clears throat> just finished up at Syracuse University and uh, currently finishing a master's project on the automation of trucking and what that means for drivers. So that's awesome. That's that, yeah. So that's like the 30,000 foot 30 second life story right there. Yeah. It's the elevator pitch. If, if you don't mind, I'll, I want to backtrack. I want to see if we actually cross paths. So you, you all, uh, you were loading your load master on C one thirties. Were you mm-hmm. in, were you in Manas by any chance in Kyrgyzstan? No, no. Uh, we would fly through there, uh, occasionally. Um, every time I went over to, um, Iraq or Afghanistan, we usually, uh, flew in through, um, Tbilisi, Georgia, and then would drop in from there. Um, so yeah, unfortunately, I've heard I've heard some stories about Manas. Never made it over that way though, unfortunately. Yeah, we, we had that's where our layover was before we would fly into Leatherneck. It said we flew like on the way there, flew from North Carolina to Maine, Bangor, Maine to, and then layover in Sofia, Bulgaria. Then in, so from Sofia we would go to Manas, and you're there for like three days. It's gorgeous. I mean, you'd never know it. I mean, it's the the the, the landscape there is like a, another. It's almost like you know. It reminds me of that map blood gulch on uh, Halo kind of oh. you know, the, the, the mountains. Oh man, you're really bringing back some memories now. Yeah, right? it's just like absolutely gorgeous, and I just know that it's an it's an Air Force base. So I didn't know if possibly mm-hmm. you were, but you just said C-130, so I think we took a C-17 in. But mm-hmm. yeah, it makes sense. You had lay, layovers there. But yeah, so sociology definitely an awesome course to go to for the undergrad. But no, student papers and newspaper, none nonetheless. Even our little newspaper at the school I went to the University of New Haven it was you know the people who wrote for it and stuff loved like getting those stories out there you know it's kind of their you know their first dip into like writing like local news stuff even the radio station the school had like you know a good good friend of mine who's now a an investigative reporter up in Boston you know he was Mm -hmm. heavy into our school's radio you know so it's that's that's good stuff people get into got to get them along now you, you picked up the camera you still are you still working as a photographer now? Yeah, that's a primary um, medium that I work in there. So it's kind of like long form uh, social documentary kind of stuff. It's the track that I'm trying to go in, um, which you know that's basically what the project that I'm working on right now is predominantly visual and a lot of writing and a little bit of video. Awesome. No, that's mm-hmm. sweet. So you you go to Syracuse. You're getting your now. What was your master's in again? Uh, multimedia photography and design. Okay, so just advancing on that photography. Yeah, uh, th- that you 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 had been picking up, but your your graduate project. Mm-hmm. Now, how did going to school? Now, this is the crossroads I'm looking at. How did going to school for photography get you down this road of wanting to do you know your project regarding autonomous vehicles and trucking? Where did that kind of come to come to play? Uh, as far as the like the decision to um, start focusing on trucking was, it's kind of like the convergence of everything that I know, you know, like hauling freight and airplanes isn't entirely dissimilar from, you know, hauling freight with trucks. Um, with sociology, I'm able to take a lot of the sociological perspectives and training that I have with that and apply it with camera work to, you know, kind of create something meaningful that can start uh, good conversations about where we're headed. Um, <clears throat> as far as like where this project actually originated, it was actually in the, when I was working at the post office during COVID, I was stuck in the car getting chased around by dogs all day. 
So I read like 80 audiobooks. I brushed up on a lot of sociology stuff, went into political, social theory, um, economics history was a really big thing, uh, American history, uh, all that kind of stuff. And every single book that I read from <clears throat> um, The Technology Trap by uh, Carl Benedict Fry, uh, <clears throat> The War on Normal People by Andrew Yang, <clears throat> there's a lot and there's a bunch of other technology books that I read and each single one of them talked about trucking in a major way. And um, <clears throat> it seemed like the pieces fit um, it was something that I was able to do um, because like anytime you're talking about something that's a uh, very big um, and broad with, you know, multinational companies and all that kind of stuff, getting access to that is basically impossible for a journalist. But, you know, within trucking, it's been decentralized to the point where all these owner operators, it's, you know, it's doable. Um, and also when you're talking about, you know, machine learning, AI and all that, it's very, very difficult to photograph an algorithm in a way that's meaningful for people but everyone knows what a truck is and everyone interacts with them and, you know, on a daily basis for the most part. And it's kind of a really great way to illustrate what AI means on a bigger, broader scale, because it's ultimately, it's going to be something that everyone has to deal with. And it's, if it goes wrong, it could go very, very, very wrong. Um, and there needs to be a conversation about that. So that's in a nutshell, that's, that's it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that, and these conversations are going to keep happening. That's one of the reasons why you're on this show. So we can get this conversation, get this stuff on the record for people out there. So that way, when the, you know, when the movie screen changes and it's me as John Connor holding the American flag against <laughs> the war, the machines are going to know, Oh my God, why didn't we listen to this episode 30 years ago? But yeah, that, that's a joke. You, you, when you mention, it's crazy how you have uh, you like as a, even as a, as a, you know, a uh, mailman and we we respect the postal service on this show i saw the postman starring kevin costner you know very patriotic job love it justin martin former postal worker we we, we have we respect the usps on the show for sure but she had a similar experience as drivers and also friend of the show dom tulo up in new jersey we've had this discussion about how drivers with their time behind the wheel you know in this recent era of media have been able to absorb a lot of information, a lot of audiobooks about this type of stuff. You know, there's there's still somewhat negative connotations with drivers as being these kind of, you know, ignorant last American cowboys who uh, aren't paying attention and reading books like the, you know, the academics of the world are. But the truth is, a lot of that stuff has, you know, via technology has been now been opening up these guys' minds. It's definitely helped them run successful businesses. Uh, it's definitely helped them get new information and, you know, think more critically on certain things that they would otherwise not be paying attention to. And you got to experience that. It kind of opened your mind up with these things and going along with what you said about how all these guys, guys like Yang and how every time technology comes up, trucking is always the main topic. Mm -hmm. and, and what's great. And I've actually seen this in blog reports. They actually call, they call it the driver problem. And like they want to right. solve the mm -hmm. driver problem. And that's that's kind of the that's the new view. So now it's not truckers are, you know, these, you know, ignorant last American cowboys, these roughnecks. Now that it's looked at as they're this issue that they need to solve in business models at this point to, you know, that they're 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 the next thing. And I've said on the show before, they're trying to use they're trying to use this autonomous and AI stuff they believe it's the next innovation of the steam engine. That's kind of how right. it's viewed. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, this is just like the steam engine. You know, it's like you, you sound like the, the guy who says car companies are going to kill all the horse breeders. 
And it's just, it's not the same length. It's not the same sort of technology advancement. But before I keep going off, let's go, let's go more into the topic of, you know, you, you, what you've been working on in your project with autonomous. You've come down to Texas recently. You've been doing some recon on this. What, mm-hmm. So on, on your end, you know, what are we looking at when it comes to, you know, AI and autonomous trucks? Kind of what's, what has been going on? Um, so like there's been one company that I've been focusing, or I guess two companies that I've been focusing on. Um, one I've been able to actually like, you know, see a little bit of their operations because they're currently operating on I-45, um, between Dallas and Houston. Um, Aurora trucking is likely to be the first one to kick the driver out of the vehicle. And they're saying it's going to be by the fourth quarter of next year, if my memory serves or the second half of next year. So about a year from now. Um, so that sounds big and scary, but initially it's going to be about 20 to 25 trucks, um, operating that 239 mile stretch, just back and forth and back and forth with, um, I don't remember all of the specific clients that they have, but they've got a laundry list um, of about a dozen up on their investor reports. Um, they, it's publicly available. You can go dig into it. Um, some of those are Schneider, um, Schneider Covenant. Uh, there's FedEx. Um, I saw some Amazon ground trailers too when I was down there as well. So there's, there's a lot of investment in this and that's just the initial thing. That's basically just a test bed. If that goes well, um, Aurora trucking also has, uh, um, OEM partnerships with Volvo and Packard, and they've got the capability to scale this up pretty quick if it's successful. So that's, that's one. Um, the other thing, uh, the 800 pound gorilla in the room that I can't find hardly any information about, um, aside from some basic reporting from like Forbes and some other financial reporting is a company called plus AI. Um, Amazon bought a 20% stake in those guys back in 2021. And according to Forbes, that order has been filled at scale or is being filled at scale as of this time last year. So Amazon might already have about a thousand of these things. And if there's one company that has a war chest that could really bring this to it to fruition first, um, that might be them. So, so, so this is, so the name of the company is plus AI. Yeah. Plus AI. Yeah. They're based out of uh, San Francisco and they're kind of a multinational company between the U S and China. Um, and they have a completely different business model where like Aurora is building like purpose built trucks from the ground up from OEMs. Uh, plus AI has a completely different model where they're doing uh, retrofit kits. So they can take, you know, mirrors and like these sensor pods that look like mirrors basically slap on the side of existing fleets and then sell those for, I think um, it's about $17,000 per unit. And have those installed within a couple of days. So as of right now, they've got a thousand uh, sale of a thousand to Amazon and ten thousand globally split between the U.S. and China. It, and yeah, so, so like that, that's it's a lot cheap. It's a lot cheaper than a lot of people realize. So the plus AI, you're, yeah, you're saying that they're making equipment that goes on current trucks already driving. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's their business model. So it. Um, as far as like the initial expense and startup costs and everything, um, you know, 17,000 bucks is relatively cheap. Right. Um, but the biggest advantage of their system is that they get a 10% uh, boost in fuel economy. And if you're figuring a hundred thousand miles a year, that's about $50,000 in your pocket in savings, just in that first or $50,000 cut in fuel costs. So you're pocketing about 30,000 bucks roughly. So it's it, even with the driver in there, it's still going to be profitable. But um, it's also important to note that that system, it's a driver in solution. So the reason that they're doing it that way is that they want to sell as many of those as possible to get the data that they need, that they can feed into um, uh, feed into a supercomputer and basically crunch the algorithm down to create the algorithm where they can then kick the driver out. 
So basically they're using drivers to feed the algorithm to ultimately replace them. So it's, it's a different model, but you know, ultimately this all comes down to data and that's basically where the industry is right now. And I've actually brought that up on LinkedIn before where I've said that, you know, a lot of these, cause it's, and I just spoke with an insurance uh, gentleman on this show recently, the, the cameras that are in trucks now, basically it's going to become a requirement within the next 12 months. Um, not so much driver facing all around, but at least having the dash cam that can see the mirrors. And mm-hmm. so, so that the use of these cameras and a lot of these cameras are using a- AI to be able to, uh, as the recording and what a lot of people don't, don't know. And what I know is true is that they, they are, they're the Trojan horse of, you know, harvesting data. Because mm-hmm. as if they can get, if they can, if insurance companies can get every small, small to large carrier to install these cameras, that's millions of miles per day of data that they're going to get, that they're going to be able to get. Yeah. Um, so with like the driver facing cameras and like, um, <clears throat> like insurance company um, footage and all that kind of stuff, I'm there might be a way that that could be useful for self-driving trucks, but like with a self-driving truck, you have LIDAR systems, radar systems, and multiple sets of camera systems all working together to aggregate all that data sort of a thing. So I'm not sure if um, a specific um, like, you know, front facing camera for insurance purposes would necessarily be useful. But again, like it's, it's really hard to tell with all this tech, with how fast everything's moving. Now, I, I do have a question on this because this has came up in an, in an article and I've seen it floating out on Instagram. Now, when it comes to this data and say the self-drive, say the autonomous kicked off tomorrow, when it comes to storing of this data, I've heard and I've talked with Justin Martin about this, that the kind of like how right now with cloud servers and everything with, you know, the data that's stored on phones and everything like that, there's mm-hmm. these massive data farms out in parts of the desert other parts and there and there's a cost uh you know and there's a, a cost of the electricity to run these you know that da- basically da- you know data storage centers with all these mainframes and i've mm-hmm. heard that all of this data storage the cost of the energy that goes into it and the infrastructure could could tip the scale to where removing the driver is almost going to make it cost ineffective uh in regarding to, to the data farms uh I, I haven't seen anything specifically about that. I know with the data centers, like any, um, they are absolutely massive. They use tons of water. Um, there's a lot of different, um, tons of energy in the space and infrastructure and manufacturing things like GPUs and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but it, as far as the economics of driverless trucks go, um, you know, if you mo- remove the driver, that's an immediate about 30 to 35% cost reduction. And then with all the other, once you, sorry let me back up here the driver is about 30 percent of the total operating cost of the vehicle right but like once you remove the driver then if you fully automate a company you no longer need all the other supporting staff and then you have that fuel um advantage on top of that too so the total um cost reduction from current operating costs is could be upwards of 45 percent the highest i've seen um being cited by too simple was as high as 47 percent um so with that amount of savings that you could possibly get, like that's, there's a lot that you can do with that. Yeah. That's um, I, it's an $800 billion industry. And that means there's, you know, upwards of $200 billion or more uh, worth of, you know, people's livelihoods sit on the table for anybody that can get this problem. Right. 
Yeah, a, a lot of yeah that that does free up a lot of money, so it possibly doesn't tip the scale back. And you mentioned something actually equally as important is what what uh, the which is the the ancillary effects of removing the driver. And essentially, when you remove the driver, you don't just remove one person. You're talking about motor carriers now being allowed to absolutely slash their staff because they don't need dispatchers, driver managers, fleet managers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the, the downhill effects of all this, too. And like that's just like within one company. Like if we remove the driver, now we're talking about uh, truck stop, all the roadside services, taco stands at truck stops. Like, you know, there's all these other downhill effects that um, could cascade just from this one specific thing. It's it's not just going to affect drivers. It's going to affect lots and lots of people in the surrounding areas of this economy. Um, yeah. <clears throat> but that's that's all like, you know, precipitated on the idea that this is going to happen everywhere to everything all at once sort of a thing. And it's not going to be ubiquitous all across the board everywhere it's going to happen in specific geographic areas first and it's going to take time to build up to that but it's even at that point it's still going to cause lots of problems yeah i i I don't yeah i don't see it it ever happening as the snap of a fingers and i have from traveling the entire country i can tell you i mean there are there are still truck stops who haven't you know moved into who who haven't moved out of the 70s especially when you get to play, especially when you get west of 35 in rural populated areas that don't have a lot of people like there's not a lot of people there. So why are they going to build certain infrastructure? Even, you know, the young lady I had on my show, uh, Laura, the tiny bull hauler, she lived in upstate New York. You know, she's 24 years old. And when, you know, just 10 years ago, which is 2013, you know, there wasn't high, you know, they had no need for high speed Internet where she lived in upstate New York because it's just nobody wanted it. So kind of where, where they were kind of gate kept that out. So there's, there's still parts of the country that will always, you know, keep themselves held back from it. But um, you, but Aurora's looking to gun this out. What, what I'm curious is, is how right we could be on that timeline, because if Aurora's saying the driver's going to be gone by the end of next year, and it's only going to be 25 to 30 trucks, how long between 25 to 30 trucks are they going to make that jump to, you know, a hundred, 200. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it, that remains to be seen too. And uh, there's a couple different like subcategories of business models that they seem to be going after. So like, there's going to be like the, the full on OEM trucks that themselves, but there's also some things in um, their <clears throat> investor reports that I've seen too, that have like done uh, driver as a service where they're doing like subscription based models and like running trucks out and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's, um, it's a whole, different thing and then i have to brush up on all that too i might not be 100 percent accurate on that but like there's there's more than one way to skin a cat um with this kind of technology so like um as far as scalability goes you know if if there's a lot of orders for these things um they could build a lot of them so like one of their other competitors too just received an order from loadsmith trucking i believe for about 800 trucks so it's you know there, there's plenty of other competition out there that's moving pretty quick on this too yeah, I made. I, I actually made a. We were talking about Kodiak on Twitter today a little bit, and I, I made it. I made a TikTok video recently that kind of got pumped in the algorithm, where I uh, say some pretty insulting things about the CEO of Kodiak. And uh, oh, uh, Brett Sumo. Yeah, he he's he's the one who uh, the gentleman. Oh no, I have to go back in his video. He started. He, he started the autonomy. He worked at Google. And then he started an autonomous thing. Uber bought it and then Uber abandoned it. Um, Don something. 
I'd have to look up his his, his yeah, name. I've, I've, yeah, I've seen it too. I, I can't remember it off the top of my head. But uh, yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of cross pollination between these companies too. Like if um, <clears throat> I know within Aurora, they've got you know people from Argo AI and <clears throat> all these other uh, autonomous uh, driving projects as well. So like there's a lot of bouncing around between this um, environment here. Yeah, his name his name is Don Burnett. That was his name. Yeah. Uh, who I was talking about. And the thing is, and what I found what I found the most curious is because like you said, just like Too Simple and just like this Plus AI. And just like Kodiak Robotics, and I, I'll have to dig more deep into Aurora, but I, you can probably tell me if I'm right. All of these companies are linked back to China. Uh, in in some respects, I know they are. Well, again, like from a business standpoint, I know like with Plus AI, they've um, you know China's going to be a massive market market in, in terms of like I think the total addressable market, it's like eight hundred billion dollars roughly, both between the U.S. and China. And that's another $800 billion um, uh, <clears throat> in size over in Europe. And then the rest of the world is another billion dollars or 800 billion or 800 billion to a trillion dollars on top of that too. So um, as far as like the manufacturing for like the GPUs, like the basically video cards and stuff that these things use, um, there are components of these things being built over in China. And I'm sure some of these companies, I know Too Simple has a lot of Chinese influence and plus AI does. I'm pretty sure uh, Aurora Trucking is mostly American. Um, yeah, that's like whenever it comes to this, like, you know, wherever they can sell these things to make money, they're going to do it. So that's as far as who's who on the ownership level, I'm not 100% sure of that. Yeah, I just, you know, I like I mentioned it about TikTok earlier in the show. You know, we have a lot of fear mongering over TikTok and what they do with data. And it's just to me, when I find out that companies are so heavily invested in automating the U.S. supply chain, yet it's linked to probably our biggest global adversary. And even though Mm -hmm. we are linked with them through trade and, you know, there's a reason we're not, you know, at war with them currently, you know, China operates on a different China operates differently culturally. They're, they're a, this, China's a country that has history that is just as old as the Jews. It goes back mm-hmm. 6,000 years. And they, we're talking dynasties that China has. They're a zero-sum game type of country. Like they work off of, uh, they work off of true deception. Like they don't look at things like, you know, like Western countries where people appreciate like honor loyalty. And this isn't conspiracy. This is written down in philosophical books. You know, China will deceive, you know, in any which way possible and build alliances with whoever, like their alliance with Russia, I believe is completely built on a farce and it's just all off personal gain. There's nothing Mm -hmm. that China respects about Russia at all, besides the fact that Russia could be their fall guy militarily. And they'll, you know, Russia will gladly send troops, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, people that they lure out of the you know, dirt farms in Eastern Russia to go die in useless wars. But like, so when I just think of this technology being linked to China, I just look at it as the Trojan, the Trojan horse of one day we're going to wake up and China already owns the U S. Uh, yeah. Like I can't really speak to a lot of the geopolitics between like China, Russia and all that kind of stuff. Um, I did just read a, a book recently called um, AI superpowers. And it's kind of talking about like the cold war arms race that we're in right now with China a little bit in response uh, and, respects to like machine learning and all that and um about 10 years ago i forgot the date specifically but uh google's uh deep program uh created this thing called AlphaGo. did you hear about that no we okay so so basically out. what 
yeah so like basically what go is it's kind of like the chinese version of chess but it's like infinitely more complicated with that um as far as the game goes there are more combinations of moves than there are atoms in the entire observable universe like that's how like wild this game is and basically all it is is a bunch of rocks um on a grid and you just like a circle it right so anyways very complicated game there's like a ton of people that play it over in china and google created this um ai that could you know beat the best human player in china and basically when they did that that was the equivalent of a sputnik moment for china and after that they just started piling up resources upon resources and catching up with us in machine learning because they realized that this isn't the next steam engine this is um beyond that this is like a new type of thing that we like in terms of capability for like what could go right or wrong like if it goes wrong like we're in the first two minutes right now of an entire six seasons of black mirror and we we have no idea <laughs> we like literally like the, with the capabilities of like what this technology could actually do we have no idea and the chinese realize that um <clears throat> so if the rate that they're growing and with their ambitions and like with statements like where Xi Jinping is saying that they want to have a complete robot revolution and stuff over there. Uh, they're not going to stop at anything and they're going to race like as fast as they possibly can into all this tech. And if you take that into consideration with like the massive amount of economic growth and explosion of the living standards over in, for Chinese culture that they've seen and like within people's lifetimes in the last 20 years, the Chinese population is going to be much more amenable to accepting all these changes from AI because they've seen technology within their living memory really make things better. Um, but in the last 30 years in the United States, it's a lot harder for Americans to say the same things, especially if you're in the Rust Belt or at Appalachia. So like over here, you know, change is kind of a dirty word in politics because, you know, a lot of areas haven't seen the benefits of all this change because it's been geographically locked to, you know, bigger urban areas sort of a thing. So like we're talking about the competition between the United States and China, um, that's going to be a very significant obstacle for us. And there's going to be a lot of resistance, I believe, in America just because of that. Yeah, because, I mean, we're already seeing uh, even on both sides of the aisle here politically, you know, there are. Are, it's it's I'd almost say it's bipartisan. There's definitely a lot of fear and apprehension towards some of this. Uh, mm -hmm. It's 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 really only independently the the private companies who are kind of like saying like no no we, we need to do this. Where like even our own government's like hold on maybe we need to 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 rear on the brakes. Even the California Senate, you know today you know they they voted that they want to ban autonomous trucks you know freight waves came out with an article like that today so we have governments that are trying mm -hmm. to actually put the brakes in some places yeah and with like ab 316 uh specifically on california that you mentioned there um from my understanding of it uh governor newsom is planning on shooting that down is that still the case or did that change recently i'm, I'm gonna have to look more into that i didn't know if the freight waves article mentioned that i wouldn't be surprised yeah. because i know that like these a lot of these tech companies are in places like San Francisco and I'm in San Francisco is a city that probably can't afford to lose any, any those, yeah. those businesses who bring very good jobs to the city. Mm. So I, I can see the governor kind of being apprehensive towards it, especially because the, where those jobs are going are, mm. you know, the battlegrounds of Texas where autonomous seems to be running, you know, Scott, you know, rain free. 
Yeah. And that's what exactly what the governor's letter uh, mentioned too, is all the interstate competition that they have with, you know, exactly states like Texas, but that same dynamic, um, same argument is also going to play out on a multinational level too, like between the U S and China, like I mentioned previously. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I'd have to check out that, uh, Freightways article. I didn't see that earlier today. Yeah. Now, so kind of to, to round things off in regards to the, to the, to the trucking aspect, we see Aurora's, you know, we, we know what Aurora's timeline is, but is there any inkling on solving the issues of weather with this technology? That seems to be what is holding them. That seems to be what the kind of the nail in the coffin has been with some of these autonomous trucks. The LIDAR systems is, you know, are, are, is Canada going to be able to operate this, you know, these commercial vehicles? Uh, so like basically any, um, question with this technology, it really kind of comes down to data and what do we train it for? Um, and anytime that you try automating anything, you always automate the easiest thing first for the for most part. Um, so as, as far as solving the weather, I'm sure if they run it up North, up in North Dakota or something like that during blizzards, I'm sure they could probably figure out a way to do it, but that's, you know, I'm going to take more R and D. It's going to take more research. It's going to take more time and it's going to take more money and more investment when you could just run it down south and just start running about um, developing freight lanes and lowering rates and, you know, consolidating the market. And, yeah. You because know, conquering the, the world, you know, the, but, yeah, the, yeah. the truth is they could use AI and stuff to reorganize freight lanes in order to optimize how they would best use it. Mm-hmm. Now I, I, I want to know your, your personal opinion. So what do you, what do you think, you know, should, if you're the, the kit, you know, the emperor of America, or if you're the you know king of the trucking industry, say you're the god emperor of logistics, you know what uh, what are, what are you putting in place right now? Kind of what what changes would you make? Oh, what changes would I make to um, AI and trucking policy and that sort of thing? Yeah, uh, that's a million dollar question that I or trillion dollar question that I am not anywhere remotely close to being qualified to answer. <laughs> um, I, I do have a lot of concerns with how this could go because if we lose too many jobs too quickly um, and people aren't able to adapt to new changes or be able to get retrained or if they get retrained in AI like in 10 years from now gets it to the point where um, <clears throat> you have to go get retrained again you know that's going to create a lot of um, social and economic and political instabilities um, as, as far as change like specific um, changes uh, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I really don't know. Like, it's, no. this, this is one of those problems where, like, um, I, I believe that people need uh, at least some agency or control over and how this is going to be done. And, like, the benefits of this need to be um, shared where it's, you know, it's not only going to be people getting rich on the coast. Like, anybody, like, everybody needs access to be able to sustain and maintain their lifestyles um, if this technology is going to be, you know, accepted and it's going to be viable. Otherwise people are going to reject it and it's going to be a bad thing. Um, so that's kind of a non-answer to all this. And, um, you know, anybody that can answer that specific question to how to fix all this in the way that we're not going to like be at each other's throats and be happy with the results of all of it, that, you know, if you can answer that question, you're, you're going to have a very, very comfortable salary. No, absolutely. Well, that's why I like your answer because your answer is the honest one. And I think the, the, the actual problem is that there are too many people thinking they, they do know the answer. And when they, when in reality, the, that, you know, they don't, and they don't see kind of what's, you know, they don't, they're not seeing the, the forward part. And I kind of want to go on that. The people who are kind of rooting for this technology, we were talking before the show 
in the broker side of the world, just when in regards to AI, there's a lot of people who are trying to work with AI for route optimization for trucks. And there's a lot of brokers who are very, um, you know, forward and forthcoming on this stuff. They believe that it's going to make, you know, they believe that it's going to save them time uh, in, you know, in regards to what they're doing for their job. You know, are they right? Do they have a, you know, do they have a reason to kind of cheer for some of this stuff? Yeah. So like there um, are going to be positives and, you know, benefits to all this kind of technology. Like, you know, any, any type of technology is um, it's a value neutral thing. It kind of depends on how you use it. Right. So like in terms of um, what it means for your job at work, um, yeah, AI is going to make lots of problems easier for you to solve. It's going to make you more efficient. It's going to make you faster. Right. But say if you're, you know, any given business out there and you've got say a bunch of writers in a newsroom that can pump out twice as many stories that gives the business a couple different options there. At that point, you can cut staff and pocket the difference and create the same amount of output, or you can flood the market with all new content, which you could be running into an oversupply issue and lowered rates as a result of that, which creates other problems. Right. So like if you're faster and more efficient, generally speaking, bosses are, going to want you to do more work and if ai takes the easiest parts of your job and automates it and leaves you with the hardest parts of your job is that really making your life easier so it's it's kind of a more of a long-term question you know like right now with ai we kind of all have like this big honeymoon phase because like nothing really bad has happened yet and like we're still learning how to play this new board game that just got thrown at us like 10 months ago um sort of a thing so like right now it might not seem like too bad of a thing, but two years from now, we might be singing an entirely different tune. So it's just something to think about. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at this, it's a meme that I've basically been seeing for the past, you know, X amount of years, you know, people will always go on social media and they'll be like, Oh, you know, so-and-so got fired. And ever since they got fired, I had to pick up his work, but yet I haven't gotten yeah. a raise or I haven't gotten, you know, any sort of anything sort of happened. And I think that people mm -hmm. are kind of not realizing that just because the AI is not a real person, uh, you know, that even though some work is going to be taken away, there's going to be more and more demanded from you and you're not going to have the, the salary to reflect it or the salary is just simply going to be reduced. Yeah. yeah. It's like, ultimately, like, um, you know, say if you're a, a writer, um, <clears throat> doing news stories or like weather reporting or something like that for a newspaper turns out you really don't need a person there anymore to start doing those stories and we're already seeing um newsrooms <clears throat> throughout the u.s starting to use that um technology to replace those roles entirely um but it's it's going to be one of those things where uh ai is going to continually get better and better at an exponential rate and it's going to keep chipping away at specific tasks and specific jobs so like the benefits that you might be seeing now um it's they're going to figure out ways or like <clears throat> tech developers, management, and all these other people that are going to be using this technology are going to figure out ways to do more and more of the work with this tool, because ultimately it's going to be faster, more efficient, safer, whatever than humans can be in not in the not too distant future. So it's, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's going to be something everybody has to deal with. It's heavy stuff. And, and I've said this multiple times. I don't think what people understand is even though this productivity is going to skyrocket and jobs and wages will be lost, especially. So if we just take it to trucking, you just mentioned that, you know, possibly there's quotes of 
removing the driver and then the ancillary staff that comes with that driver of dispatchers, mm-hmm. managers, safety personnel, uh, you know, X number of mechanics, whatever it might be with all of that, like, even though they're saving, saving up to 47% of the operational cost of that truck, they're going to use that money towards other things for the efficiencies of the business, but it's never going to lower the price of anything. Uh, that's, um, it, it could, it could. I, I think that's kind of more of a moral um, decision on like, you know, the basis of like who owns these things. If like how much costs are actually going to be going down. Um, I think in the short term, you could absolutely see rates going down because this is going to be how, um, you know, these companies are going to be um, increasing market share and uh, consolidating the market. Right. So the, I don't think uh, with that 47%, 45, 45%, seven percent figure um that's a little bit misleading so just because they're able to cut that amount of operating costs doesn't mean that rates are going to go down 45 47 percent um you know like this technology is going to have other associated costs like um you're going to have to have like people like doing pre-trip inspections or like enhanced um pre-trip inspections refueling maintenance all that kind of stuff right data management is going to be a new thing um and all that so there are going to be new costs and new jobs created but ultimately if you're talking about somebody that's doing refueling and pre-trip inspections that's probably not going to be a great job yeah um so one thing that i did hear recently from uh uh uh, owner of a um, power only trucking company down in dallas is that she saw um, this company out there called Gaddick AI and they do LTL last mile delivery stuff for uh, grocery stores. And that company has got a lot of investment from Walmart and Microsoft. Um, and they're already hauling, I believe autonomous freight down in Dallas and Arkansas sort of a thing. But um, according to her, when she saw them at a tech convention that that company was saying that they're able to undercut <clears throat> freight rates by 10% right off the bat. So I think, you know, that five, 10%, um, lowering rates could be a pretty realistic thing. Yeah, no, that that would be a huge, I mean, it, we've already yeah. seen the freight rates dropping being nail in the coffin. And I'm not mm-hmm. even talking so much about the, the freight rates because as we've been seeing for the last two years, essentially, with freight rates dropping to the levels that they're at now, just because the rates have dropped, nothing nothing that hits the shelves has become got it has become cheaper and that's kind of what i'm even for at the bottom dollar cost for the consumer so when it comes to going to the grocery store if Mm -hmm. those trucks rolled out tomorrow if the snap of the fingers happened i don't i don't see any companies you know maybe walmart could drop their prices because they're already as 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 low as they can be but in reality you know we've seen freight races freight rates at their lowest that we've seen basically since 2009, I haven't noticed anything getting cheaper. And that's, yeah, it's kind of my uh, argument. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it kind of goes back to um, kind of that moral decision on, uh, you know, on behalf of those businesses and stuff too. I think there was a report that came out of Congress, I think is a congressional budget office or something like that. I'd have to double check and get back to you. Um, but it's about 40% of uh, the cost of inflation right now is just price gouging is what it is. So just because they lower costs doesn't mean that they're obligated to, you know, lower cost to consumers unless there's that competition that forces that, um, you know, ultimately a lot of these businesses have um, a fiduciary obligation to their share, uh, to their shareholders. So that's, if you gotta, you know, pay, pay big daddy Starbucks for your investments and everything, that's where the money's got to go. 
Yeah, that, and that that's my issue with kind of how the American economy runs. People love saying, oh, free market, free market. I believe that the free market is dictated by consumers and by true supply and demand. And I don't believe that, you know, the will of your shareholders in the Wall Street casino is anything relative to a, a, a free market personally. When you're working as a business to please shareholders and not please your customers, I don't think mm -hmm. that that's a that, that that to me isn't a market. Like to, to me, that doesn't it doesn't make any sense because it's simple. It's, you know, you have Joe, the plumber exists. He charges, you know, X amount for his services. But then Rick, the plumber comes along. He does the same service, but better. And, and but, you know, but Joe, but Rick is a little bit more than Joe, but hmm. Rick does the better job. So people go to him anyway. So he makes more money. But he right. the guy who's working less works. For it's it's competition. That's the thing when you're hmm. competing over. You're like, that's the thing we've come to this, you know, we used to be a country where, where businesses competed with each other to, to be, make better products and make better services. And now they're just creating better ways. Like, you know, and we've talked about this in a group chat, you know, we've even seen this in the science world where we've been arguing so much about things that related to string theory that we we're not building rockets to go to, to Mars anymore. We're just developing better iPhones for shareholders like we're just trying to we're just yeah. trying to take better pictures every three years instead of trying to cure cancer more and like mm. go to and go to different planets and like do all this other like mathematical stuff we stopped like and that's what these companies are essentially doing these companies they're not competing to make better products or services they're just competing to please their shareholders for you know year after year yeah and that uh that kind of gets at to one of the things i noticed in aurora's um I think it's a 2020, yeah, it's a 2021 investor report. Um, I don't remember the page, but uh, you guys can all look it up. It's a publicly traded company. But on one of those pages on there, they were likening the development of self-driving trucks to the digitalization of advertising, which, you know, back in the 1990s, before all this, you know, internet mumbo jumbo became a thing, became a thing. Um, there was, advertising was a pretty big and vibrant business. You know, there's lots of competition. There's lots of options out there for consumers and everything. And then, you know, Google and Facebook came along and that completely dominated the market. And Aurora Trucking was comparing the capabilities of autonomous trucks to that. And that comparison I thought was pretty disturbing because like, you know, if you take into account the barriers to entry into that market with the amount of um, infrastructure, talent, um, data and everything that you have to have there's not going to be a lot of players into it and the first company that's going to get this right and it's going to be the most successful first could completely dominate this market there's not going to be enough competition out there sort of a thing so like if we're lucky we might get you know two or three really successful self-driving trucking companies and by the time that they're fully established like it's just like the open ai um uh open ai thing where they're so far ahead right now it's you know, best of luck to anybody that can even hope to catch up. Yeah, that's and that's the biggest problem is people don't realize that for all the free market, you know, capitalist believers or in the system we have is that, yeah, when this does come and float its way wrong, who, yeah, whoever basically, yeah, whoever crosses the finish line first, whoever passes go first is going to collect the 200 and they're going to mm -hmm. they're going to they're going to win this whole thing. So kind of kind of kind of segueing a little bit. I think what prevents all this from happening has to do with the book you mentioned, the the technology trap. Now, if the reason why, you know, there's been so much change in the in industry, it always goes back to the 1980 Motor Carrier Act. And I think that if the, the 1980 Motor Carrier Act never happens and union membership is as strong as it is, 
you're never going to have the mass commercialization and the nationalization of the U.S. supply chain that had happened, uh, where you know basically crushed the unions, you know, crushed the Teamsters mm-hmm. membership, absolutely plummeted. So I mean, the union not being as strong as it is, you know, has everything to do with this technology being able to come flying into the market because they're able to get all this funding and the labor has nothing to do to fight back. Now you mentioned this book, the technology trap, and. Essentially, what what the book synopsizes is, is that the Industrial Revolution could have happened two thousand years ago, mm-hmm. and 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 I, and I don't think a lot of people realize this. They think that you know for six thousand years or for four thousand years we were using rocks. You know, it was only just rocks and rope, and then all of a sudden the eighteen hundreds roll wrong roll along, and mm-hmm. you know, and now in a matter of a short amount of time, and they think that. People just think that it's just like luck or by chance. But the truth is societies actually just said no. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Like as far as the technology trap goes, like basically like the key theme in that book is that, uh, resistance to new technologies over the course of human history has been the, the norm, not the, or has been the norm, not the exception. So, um, you know, back in like ancient Rome, um, if somebody created a new machine that could put like, the peasants and the roman citizenry and stuff out of business um a lot of the times they would you know take the guy out back and you'd never see him again just because you know the powers that be at the time were that um afraid of like you know what could happen if you destabilize people's livelihoods that much um you know late 1700s roll around you got this guy called adam smith that writes writes a book uh the wealth of nations and kind of creates like you know the foundations of capitalism right there and basically england was the first one to say screw it let's just run right into it and see what happens and like you said 300 years later here we are we're you know watching cat videos on youtube and you know chatting with chat gpt jesus online you know like <laughs> like it's it, it's kind of getting to the point where it's crazy where you know like 10 years now from now we have no idea where it's going but um <clears throat> yeah it's like the first industrial revolution it wasn't a pleasant or even consensual thing for people to get into people got forced off the farms and the big dirty cities and factories and all that kind of stuff uh children there were cases of children getting beaten to death in these factories people legitimately got shorter as a result from malnutrition disease all of that um and wages flatlined for 70 years and then about after 70 years after all that started happening then you know things started getting a little bit better <laughs> you know we like invented light bulbs and stuff after that and like living conditions actually started improving but like with <clears throat> um like kind of the whole point of that book is that uh um the benefits of all that need to be shared in a way that people can still benefit and support themselves um and you know if not we could be seeing a return back to the luddite revolts and you know 1800 1820s um where that that would not be a favorable outcome by anybody and yeah, that's and that comes up often too. And Gord had the gentleman on who who started the organization America Without Drivers. I believe yep. you have have also uh, spoke with him. Uh, that's a, that's essentially the time period we're talking about that I think people don't realize. And in an age where people are becoming more appreciative of mental health, people are becoming more cognizant of. I think people now more than ever are very cognizant of others' feelings on a lot of things. I mean, we mm-hmm. see it and, you know, we see how fast somebody can get canceled online for something. But also at the mm-hmm. same time, we're seeing things come to light, like men's mental health crises with the, the, the stats that are alarming of, of men who are taking their lives. And I don't think people realize that this is just another 
spider off that issue is, you know, the time period we're talking about, if everything just continues as is and we do nothing, is that there's going to be possibly a 70 year period of well, what that- of these casualties of war just to mm-hmm. get just to get to, you know, there's going to be a lot of pain and suffering similar to, you know, uh, you know, the violence. Yeah. Kid, kids working, you know, we're already seeing, uh, you know, states, you know, allowing kids to go, you know, go back to work at ages of 13 or whatever, you know, we're starting to see this revert back in, in a way. And I don't right. think people are, people are kind of looking at it with blinders on or, sh- or you know, rose colored glasses saying, Oh, this technology is going to be good. Not realizing that there could be a 70 year period of famine, extreme poverty. Well, uh, yeah. So like with that 70 year um, thing that I mentioned there, like that was, that was back then, right? Like it's obviously different now. Um, but like, with any type of uh, new technical um, or technological revolution, whether it be like a steam engine or electricity and stuff, like there generally, there generally is a period where um, <clears throat> there's a lot of economic disruptions, but over the long run, you get more jobs and living standards increase as a result of that. But initially it's pretty a, a pretty traumatic thing, like with the first industrial revolution with electricity. Um, we had to create dams and completely relocate people out of like the Tennessee Valley. Um, there's lots of other examples of like, you know, how damaging it can be like most more recently with the internet, you know, there's a lot of brick and mortar retail businesses that looked at Amazon for the first time about 20 years ago and they're not there anymore, <clears throat> you know? So like, it's probably not going to take 70 years for things to turn around this time around, but like also <clears throat> it might only be like 10 or 20 if we're lucky, but I don't know if you've seen America in you know, the last 10 years or so. Um, I, we've got a lot of problems that need to be solved that we currently are unable to solve. And now we're talking about something that could, you know, even the <clears throat> uh, World Economic Forum is saying this, where like this technology could undermine and exacerbate most, if not all, of our uh, <clears throat> um, political, social, and economic inequalities. So if we're talking about something that's going to be pouring like napalm on the dumpster fire here, or could potentially be 10 years is a very long time. Yeah. It's longer than people think that could, that could be a dark ages that lasts, you know, longer than I think people are speculating. And that's, that's been my argument about a lot of this is you have companies like Aurora, you have companies like Kodiak, you have a lot of these, uh, you know, you have a lot of these tech companies, which by the way, you mentioned this earlier about how that they're all like, all these autonomous truck companies, they're all linked up with OEM. They're all linked up with the truck manufacturers. But at the same time, you have small businesses now who are still having no issues finding parts. And so it's like, once again, we have reverting back. We have these companies. They'll take all this money and they'll make partnerships with autonomous when it comes to their current customers who they have, who their customers have demands. They can't fill their demands. They'll raise the prices on them, raise the price it is to install the parts, do all that stuff. But meanwhile, they're mm-hmm. making backdoor deals with the companies who are going to put them out of business, which has nothing to do with their current customers. That's just a side, that's just a side thing. But mm-hmm. essentially with what these companies are, uh, are doing is um, I'm trying to put this, put this into, into better words, uh, like they're taking of the money that they take for funding. And I know we talked offline before this about, uh, the venture capital thing. And I'm going to bring that up in a, in a second, but these companies, I t- you talk about all the other problems in our society. We have healthcare's problem. 
you know, we have veterans who are homeless. We have other, you know, regular civilians who are homeless. We have laundry list of issues. You know, we probably need to fix our education systems. There's so much going on and it's just, but one tech company can raise a billion dollars for something, for something that they don't even know can work yet. And they're like, oh, it might work in 30 years. And it's just, we have all this financial money fiscally being poured into this technology, which we know that there's books about, that we're making podcasts about, that we're arguing about, could probably upend society as a whole and make us go through a 10-year dark ages. But what if we took all those resources and we put them into, you know, uh, we put we put them into, I don't know, crumbling infrastructure, the healthcare system, not making mm -hmm. life-saving medicine costing uh, 800 bucks a pill or something like that. We're in, and I know, and I understand this is kind of moral and maybe a little bit more, you know, subjective or what have you. But I think society as a whole, I think if you polled everybody, I think if you, we took 500 people right now and we said, hey, do you think that Aurora trucking should get $10 billion to build robot trucks? Or do you think we should um, make cancer treatment for everybody free? I think all 500 people are going to go with the, the second option. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that kind of gets like to the inequality problem that we currently have too. Um, that's it, kind of a difficult thing for me to address. It's kind of a lot going on there, but um, I think probably the best way to get at that is that, um, and this might be kind of a controversial take a little bit, but let it out. Yeah. So if you take into account, going back to steam engine and all that kind of stuff like that, those technologies legitimately did make things better for people over the long run. You know, again, cat videos and, you know, all the goofy stuff on the internet these days, right? Um, but the capabilities of AI, um, if it goes right, if we get it right and we figure it out and like we have ways for people to get their needs met, all this kind of stuff, this technology legitimately could be the best thing that's ever happened to us. It could. And we could be able to solve diseases. We can get like, you know, clean energy and like we haven't even like touched on quantum computing yet and that's another like you know 10 ton gorilla in the room where that's like further ex uh, exponential explosion on top of all the other stuff that we're already talking about <clears throat> um you know like 2040 2050 like elon musk said recently that the next 20 30 years can be completely unrecognizable to now <clears throat> to now i think he's right and if we get that right we could you know, legitimately be talking about some sort of like, you know, tech for utopia, maybe, sort of, not really, whatever you want to call it, um, kind of a thing. <clears throat> so I think that is important to um, consider here is that the long-term effects of this, like our great-great-grandchildren could be much, 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 much better off where like the possibilities are lit literally limitless. <clears throat> you know, once you get a, sorry, one second. <clears throat> Like if an AGI, uh, artificial general intelligence comes around, which is like the holy grail for all of this thing, um, you know, the limitate, like there's no limitations at that point. Like we could, you know, figure out black holes and like create legitimately like flying cars and stuff at that point. So there are good reasons to do this. Um, but as like the last 300 years has shown us is that we haven't handled that very well. Um, and the last 20 years, we haven't handled that well makes me extremely skeptical of this so like i wouldn't exactly demonize tech to like the nth degree all of the time because i think there is some legitimate possibilities here but um 
there there definitely needs to be some showings of good faith in this to the general public. And I think that's like the biggest thing out of all of this. Yeah. I, I I've mentioned that on the show too, about AI where I, I truly think that the, and, and I've seen what it's, what it's been doing in the medical field. And that's where a lot of people have kind of uh, been a little bit like, and that's where people who uh, like me, I'm not sympathetic towards tech, you know, me, I, I, I very much, you know, rip it apart on this show and I, and I, and I bad mouth it, et cetera. But that's where I've seen the, like the positive parts of when it comes to the advances, what it could do for doctors, what it could do for diagnosis, what it can mm-hmm. do for, for all these things, what it could do for those things. And yeah, th- I think you're absolutely right. And I'm with, and I'm kind of echoing my buddy Reed here. Um, we're, we're, th- there's a lot of, you know, we're kind of be trying to become anti-doomer talkers Mm-hmm. In that respect, we, like we're trying to manifest the positivity, and I, 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 I'm inclined to agree with what you just said. I think, yeah, mm-hmm. I think if if rolled out the right way, and I know the right way is another term, you know, well, who's, you know, Xi Jinping, I'm sure thinks that there's a right way to roll it out between what you know the president of you know France thinks is the right way to roll it out but in reality we we know that there's a right way to roll it out and it's like you said a way that's going to benefit all society creating you know creating better equality but it comes down to if we want it to roll out the right way it mm-hmm. comes it, it comes down to you know you're going to need a we're going to need a full overhaul of the type of people who work in a congress and we're going to need an overhaul of who we're electing and, and we and kind of going back to what we were just talking about is we have all these other problems that we need to fix instead of, you know, trying to make robot trucks. One of those problems happens to be the type of people we're electing in our, into office. Yeah. And, um, you know, <clears throat> not I'm trying to, th- um, well, sure, I'll just say it. Um, like Diane Feinstein is on the, um, uh, congressional committee that's overseeing this stuff and you've got other people like Mitch McConnell that's you know th- there there is a very significant problem from a regulatory standpoint um the upside of that <clears throat> um not to not you know not to be ageist or anything like that but uh, like the upside of that is that uh, did you see that um congressional hearing back in June where they uh, brought in uh IBM there's another guy and then Sam Altman from OpenAI yes yeah yeah when they brought them yeah. in for the uh, inquiry yeah, so um, that was like the most refreshing thing in politics that I have seen um, in living memory. <laughs> I, I would have to say, um, right now, like this issue, this issue hasn't been politicized between like red team versus blue team bullshit. Um, sorry, probably a family show here, but uh, it hasn't been politicized yet, and there's a lot of um, willingness for open cooperation on this. Um, the caveat to that being, though, is that like if you have a bunch of tech companies coming in. Um, saying us saying please regulate us like we want to be regulated please figure all this out blah 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 but only do it in the ways that we want to be regulated that creates kind of another issue there where i'm a little bit skeptical but at least for right now and i really hope it stays this way that you know the left versus right part of american politics is relatively neutral on the political games because you know if it delves into you know everything that we've seen over the last 20 years that's the best way to guarantee that nothing is going to get done and that's the best way to guarantee a very bad outcome in my opinion no you're you're absolutely right and i think what's what's great about topics like this 
And the reason why I like to stick with them, like when it comes to AI and autonomous, when it comes to anything in transportation, is with all the other polarizing issues we got going on in this country, they truly are. And we talk, I talked about this with Mr. Yancey, insurance guy. These are truly issues that you can bring people together on. Like when it comes to transportation, when it comes to trucks, you all, everybody needs them. Like when it comes to like the, the plights of what's going on for truckers with wanting overtime, wanting better pay, like, uh, you know, neat, wanting a toilet, thing, you know, ba basic things like that. You can't find an argument where, oh, my God, you want those things. You're you're a crazy communist or you're a crazy right wing supreme. Like you can't polarize it. Same thing with AI and autonomous is to support AI and, uh, AI and autonomous doesn't put you in this one side of the, the line that makes you unable to cooperate with each other. And I think that those are those are positives to, to, to take out of this. Yeah. And <clears throat> kind of the interesting thing, um, I'm not excited for this at all, but I can totally see this happening. Um, according to the University of Michigan last year, they came out with a study saying that uh, 500,000 drivers could be out of a job within the foreseeable future from a partial impl implementation of this technology. Don't go beyond exactly all of that. But um, that was basically the gist of it. And I've seen some other stuff where the estimates range as high as um, I believe it was like 2.1 million by 2040 or so could be out of work as a result of driverless trucks. If you take in like the bigger picture side of this, like around that same time, you know, there's going to be lots of college kids that are getting degrees right now and stuff like accounting, business analytics, any like boardroom CEO degree fields, um, all the way down to OnlyFans. <laughs> you know, there's, there's generated video is a thing in a like, that that type of video already exists, right? Like everybody in every conceivable market, this technology is general purpose and it's being applied everywhere simultaneously, right? Um, Kai Fu Lee, the guy that wrote AI Superpowers estimates that we could be losing 40% of all jobs within the United States by 2035, 12 years from now, right? So like if even that is like 25% true, um, Truckers are going to have a lot of strange bedfellows like college students that are going to be in the same boat with lots of debt, um, lots of problems as a result of this, not being able to get retrained. And, you know, college students or people are going to have a hard time justifying going to college, I believe, um, by then, because they're not going to know what's going to be a good return on investment with how fast this technology is going to, you know, so they're within that problem with like the changing nature of work where like work could literally continually be getting less and less and keep going away as like uh, Daniel Susskind from Oxford University would make the case. There's a lot of possibilities here for cooperation and being able to solve this problem democratically in a way that we can live with. And I, I think, you know, that's, that's one of the hopeful aspects of this as horrifying as that situation is. Yeah. There, there could be, there could be a peaceful way to kind of navigate through this issue when, like you said, when it, when a truck driver is off, is out of work and the kid who went to college for, yeah, said the kid who went to college for, for lit, virtually anything at this point, yeah. whether he went for business, whether he went yeah. for yeah, computer, computer coding, you know, chat GPT can do that extremely well for entry level, like college kids uh, getting into like coding stuff right now. I'm sure that's going to be a controversial thing that a lot of people would argue with me on that, but like, you know, you can just pick a different job and it's, you know, it, it's going to, it's going to happen to everybody at some point. Yeah. And when, and if everybody's all standing on line together, 
then in one in a, in a way and this isn't even in a perfect world this is just in reality if all these people are standing online together it's okay all these big businesses now have cut their operating you know cut cut the cost of their labor by however much percent they're still going to be able to generate this amount of revenue then that revenue is going to have to find a way to be shared with you know with with go back, going back to the population or going back into certain ways to supplement what's going to be lost in income and in employment. Mm-hmm. So five, 500,000, you said within the next, possibly within the next 12 years. So like with all those uh, statistics, um, most researchers don't want to put a date on it because like there's literally millions of variables that they can't control for sort of thing. So like, you know, that's just kind of a best guess within, I think the university of Michigan said the foreseeable future kind now, of thing. And it's, it, it's, that you can't really put a date on it, but you know, some say it's going to happen really fast, like Haifu Lee. Other people are more uh, like Carl Benedict Fry from Oxford University put it at forty-seven uh, percent of all jobs could be negatively impacted by automation by twenty forty or by twenty fifty. So, like it, it's somewhere within that window, but it's definitely going to be very impactful. Like, there's no getting around that. In your view, with what you've been working on with with trucking, now I know Aurora is going to have their small fleet on on forty-five you know, on Texas highways next year, but do you think overall in the grand scheme of transportation, is this going to hit the box truck first or, you know, which, which way is this going? Is it, is it going to hit the guys who are operating like the box trucks or are we talking, is this going to be the coast to coast 53 foot dry van trailers? Uh, great question. So what I would expect to see is anything that's going to be the easiest thing where you can bump a dock is going to be the first things that are going to be targeted by it. Um, and more specifically in line haul, um, <clears throat> the reason that this uh, change is happening and uh, we're going to be seeing this happen in Texas first is that it's a real big state with multiple very high density freight markets. And these companies are targeting the highest density freight markets first to get the biggest return on investment. Um, like with I-45 down in Texas, it's about um, that's worth about three to $4 billion annually, according to, Two Simple's uh, 2021 investor report. Um, so that's going to be kind of the biggest thing um, right there. So like I would expect to see uh, drive and reefer and parcel market, and especially the parcel market. I could see that being a very, very big thing, especially with Amazon and especially with their competition with UPS and all the labor stuff that's going on with UPS, the Teamsters and Amazon right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. They're, they're kind Keep of basically at war. And I think, I, I really think the only thing that could, and if we're talking about if we're going to do anything to stop this sort of thing, I mean, I talk about Amazon unionizing all the time. And I think that that's what the Teamsters have been doing. That's what UAW is doing right now. I think they're trying to show a show, a show of force saying you can't, Hey, you can do this. This is what, this is what the power of, of what unionization can do. And I think that that, I think they're trying to teach that to Amazon Amazon's mm-hmm. still working off the same kind of logic mega carriers work off of, which is, hey, let's just keep this churn and burn going so nobody stays long enough to unionize. And I kind of think that that's what, what Amazon's playing. But what, going mm-hmm. back to what you just said about I-45, I'm thinking, I'm thinking about the value of I-35 too. Laredo's set to grow more. They're building three new bridges, expanding the mm-hmm. World Trade Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, the value coming – and I'm wondering how this is going to affect – because. If the autonomous comes to Texas, what's stopping it from what's that, you know, what's what's going to happen when it gets to Mexico? Because now in Mexico, a lot of these trucking companies are owned by 
criminals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, as far as like the international aspect of things, I'm not sure um, how that's going to go, or even if that's going to be a general concern um, for the near future. Cause like whenever it comes to trucking um, and, you know, automation in general, like you're going to want to trim or cut the highest paying stuff first if you can, because that's where the highest degree of profit's going to come from. So like, if you're talking about like wages down in Mexico with like, I, don't, I have no idea what the rates are in Mexico. I haven't looked into that sort of a thing, but it would make sense to me to like start exporting this technology across the border first, because rates are already lower there. Um, that again, I could be entirely wrong. I haven't read up on what that is, but I absolutely expect Laredo to be a big hub um, Too simple. Um, announced that they were going to have a hub there um, before they decided to shift out of Texas. Um, so I don't know what's happening with that. Um, and then uh, um, Aurora Trucking on their uh, investor report maps also highlighted Laredo as a possible expansion route too. So yeah, just oh, based yeah. on like the little growth map type of thing. Which and and I'm what what makes me even more curious because you know we we talk about truck parking a lot on this show and even with this technology rapidly approaching you still have on i-35 going south there's a brand new loves that's about to open in between san antonio and laredo there's new truck mm -hmm. parking being built all over the country and it it's that and that's where almost the it, it almost it doesn't make sense where in a way where there's all this money it's coming it's inevitable but all throughout the country we're still building up infrastructure for truck parking and it's I mean, obviously that truck parking is still going to be used. I'm sure something will end up happening with, with the truck stops and the hotels and stuff where those trucks, even though those trucks aren't going to stop, they're going to have to stop at certain points for maintenance, for blown mm -hmm. tires, for wh whatever may happen. So I, I, they'll probably be, will still be a use for those massive parking lots. Yeah. But even in Texas, they're still building new truck parking all while Texas. So Texas as a state is investing in these autonomous companies to come, but also for places for trucks with drivers to park. And it's just like, nobody can make up their, you know, can't make up their mind. Yeah. Um, have you heard about the transfer hub model? Yeah. The, the transfer hub model, which would be essentially the, the robot truck is primarily doing the load and they, they're going to construct Essentially, like on the outskirts of towns, they'll construct uh, yard drop yards where yeah. uh, those trailers get dropped, where then a final final mile human driver will take it into the comp more complex parts of the cities. That's be that be because my because uh, Texas, I know Texas and especially places like Phoenix and Arizona, where it's really wide open and a lot of these mm -hmm. this infrastructure is new. I could see it like, you know, I could see it very running smoothly. I'm worried about mm -hmm. Philadelphia. New York City, Waterbury, Connecticut. <laughs> you know, I'm worried about yep. the Northeast and how the low overpasses and some of these roads, roads you can't turn down. Um, yeah. Those, those are, are very frightening. Yeah. Well, uh, <clears throat> yeah. According to um, some of the investor reports, and it's important to keep in mind too, like the investor reports, like they're very bullish, and uh, basically they're trying to sell this tech and get as much money as possible by these investors. So it's you know important to keep that in mind. But uh, in Aurora's um, investor report specifically, I think in 2023, I think they said this, I have to double check, but um, 
they don't expect this technology to be that far up north or up in the northeast until at least like the end of the decade if it's wildly successful um you know like in the meantime like it's mainly going to be on very specific routes so like i-45 is the big one right now um kodiak is developing another route between dallas and uh, atlanta um on i think that's i-20 yeah. Um, there's another was I 10, I 15. Um, I think it's I 15 between uh, Phoenix and Tucson. With Too Simple is another one. I've heard some stuff from Load Smith from Brett Suma. He was talking about uh, I 5 uh, between like the Bay Area and uh, um, California would be another huge one. Um, you know, barring, you know, AB 316, if that fails, obviously. Um, you know, like there, there's very specific lanes that are, you're going to see this technology first. And the other thing is too, is that anytime that you start introducing multiple states into this, now you're talking about multiple different jurisdictions where like, say, if you're trying to automate between, you know, two massive freight markets like Florida and Texas, and you have to go through Mississippi and Mississippi gives them the middle finger, then what, you know? Um, so I, I think that's going to be a very big legal battle in the future. Um, or something to that aspect of it. So like, I think first you're going to see um, very specific freight lanes between as few States as possible on the highest density freight lanes. Yeah. Kind of thing. So that's what drivers can expect predominantly in the South, but um, they're also talking I-70 between um, uh, Columbus. Yeah. Columbus and Indianapolis um, is one that's been identified because it's relatively, you know, flat. The weather is not super terrible. Um, and if they can figure out the weather side of things, you know, if you connect those two dots, then, you know, Dallas or not Dallas, um, Detroit, uh, Detroit, Chicago, Louisville, St. Louis, that's all within spinning distance right there. So that'd be another one to watch as well. Yeah. There's yeah. Uh, the, that stretch of 70 between St. Louis and Columbus. I mean, you can, I've done, I've done that route so many times and you could fly through it so easily, especially depending mm-hmm. on the time of day, it's pretty flat. It's pretty, you can cover a lot of that ground. I've been a bit like that stretch of 70. I call that place my backyard. I've I've basically lived all along that highway. And for that's definitely Mm -hmm. a lane. But I think that that's the biggest hurdles. It's I'd say I'd say truckers biggest allies right now are two of their worst enemies, which is uh, insurance companies and, you know, state DOTs uh, and and Mm -hmm. their and state governments. Uh, they, They could end up being, you know, they could end up being the biggest allies and kind of keeping their jobs or at least keeping the status quo for now uh, when mm. it comes to this stuff. But man, th- this yeah. is, yeah, this, this is some heavy stuff you're talking about. So what do you, how much you got, you know, I got you for, you know, I've had you for, for over an hour now and I, I appreciate you ripping with me sometimes, mm. you know, I didn't, I didn't know how much time you had available tonight. So I appreciate yeah, it. No. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot else going on. So, hey, so you're with your project, What's um what's the end game look like? How much you got left? What's you are you kind of like are you are you making a dissertation on something? Are you kind of like pleading a case? Are you just kind of telling you like compiling data and saying this is gonna be the result of this technology? Uh yeah, so like basically the uh the project's gonna like culminate into a website that's um I've kind of structured it kind of like a newspaper a little bit. Um, it's going to feature videos, um, you know, kind of like a crash course and um, basically some of the, uh, with some of the things, the most important things that I think drivers should probably know 
uh, some hypotheticals, um, you know, there's some video components and all that kind of stuff. So basically it's more um, kind of building a resource to kind of catch, um, catch people up to speed a little bit and uh, kind of help inform of like where this is going and helps kickstart a good conversation where, you know, hopefully we can navigate this appropriately and come out the other side with, you know, some money in the bank and the, you know, happy families and all that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah. So like a, you're, you're yeah. compiling stuff to like make a good recommendation on how society can, you know, weather this uh, storm. Uh, I wouldn't really say recommendations. Like I'm staying very, very far away from policy recommendations because yeah. like when you start digging with that, then, you know, none of that is my decision. I am not qualified to say this is the perfect solution because anybody that says this is like the easy, the, <clears throat> the one size fits all solution to fix this problem is wrong. Right. Like that's just how it is. Like societies are very uh, complicated and difficult to understand. And like, there's no, there's never an easy answer to any complex problem like this. Um, so basically like all, all it is, is doing is like, Hey, this is what it is. This is what the problems are. If you're a driver, like this is <clears throat> the basics that you need to know to prove that it's here, this is happening and it's going to start happening soon. And it's like the bigger picture part of it is that this is also going to be happening to everyone. And this is why this is important. And it's going to undermine a lot of other problems that we have is basically the entire thing in a nutshell. Um, so it's, yeah, I don't like, I actually kind of like, there is one thing I get into a little bit um, with it where I started uh, kind of talking about universal basic income, um, which I don't think that's inherently a, god awful idea but it's definitely not a good one <laughs> um in my opinion right now just because like it opens up a can of worms um but you know there's i introduced some of the skepticisms with that idea with hopefully starting a conversation someplace else so that's like it's ultimately a conversation starter and convincing people that this is happening because uh in my time out on the road just the amount of skepticism out there about this technology is just you know, unbelievable. Like it's, it's so hard to talk to people about this because, you know, some people feel threatened is like, Hey, this is how I, you know, support my family. And you're telling me that this might not be here in 10 years. And it's like, that's the way it's trending, you know? Um, so yeah, it's, it's more about kind of starting a conversation. Hopefully we can find something along the way that's better than this, you know? No, I, I think that that's awesome. I think that that's the most important thing. And I, that's another point I've mentioned on this show several times is that, you know, they love bringing up truckers. They love, you know, uh, Craig Fuller, CEO of FreightWaves, had a really good tweet explaining this. And I know I'm kind of butchering it a little bit, but he basically had talked about how big tech companies had have been planning on this sort of technology, taking out the blue, the blue collar 3D world first and foremost. You know, they talked about it taking away you know, blue collar jobs, trucking, essentially. And you can see the evidence by how many millions, billions of dollars has gone into it. And in the reality, mm -hmm. the first people who've been on the firing line, we have Holly, you know, we have Hollywood on strike. We have, you know, we're, mm -hmm. we're seeing it happen with graphic design. The, the You bringing up OnlyFans is the best point because my friends over at Hard Factor, they, they were talking about a news story where, you know, there are, yeah, there's these AI models now, uh, you know, modeling clothes, and people are, it's not there yet. It's just there. You can kind of still tell it's like fake because of the absolute perfection of women's faces mm -hmm. and stuff. But there are guys on Twitter arguing with 
AI models, like that, you know, the account is being, <laughs> and, they, and they're already doing it. So it's like to see who's first on the firing line, like, yeah, is Aurora going to be on the road next year? Sure. But at the same time, like, is, you know, th these other people, wor working class people uh, who, whether they have remote jobs or not, they're afraid, you know, this is going to happen to everyone. It's an everyone situation, not just truckers, mm -hmm. not just a plumber. Yeah. And that, that kind of, it's a pretty good segue into another really important point too. So like, um, say you're a driver and like 10 years from now, like you're working in the parcel line hall thing down in Texas, right? And you lose your job with all the other technologies and developments that are happening right now, you might not be able to get another one <laughs> like within that specific skill set. And at that point, like you're, this, a lot of people are going to get stuck. Like if that should occur, a lot of people are going to get stuck with this decision. It's like, okay, do I go back to school? Well, the schools are, you know, 10,000 to $25,000 per semester. Like how is anybody going to pay for that? You know? Um, so like, there's a lot of bigger structural issues along with this where like, if you, if people start getting stuck in that situation, um, rules go right out the window and um, you know, like the political ramifications of that, like could be severe. Um, yeah. So, yeah. When you, when you take it, yeah, that's a, that's a straight out of, uh, th that brings me to a, a Frederick Nietzsche quote, which is, you know, man is the best hunter. You know, you take away the bread, man's going to find a way to eat, you know, just, mm -hmm. just like, you know, the, 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 the eagle, the bird, the same way when you're starving, you're mm -hmm. going to, you'll do anything to, to eat, you know, what you'll resort to, to solve that problem of making sure you can eat, you know, for, yeah. for your family and stuff. Yeah. And then on top of that, too, if you do decide to go off and get retrained or you invest a ton of time and effort with, you know, all the new AI tools and teachers out there to get retrained into a different profession, like the one that you're retraining into, like depending on how fast this goes, you know, like 10 years from now or so, um, you, the profession that you chose and that you thought was safe might not be safe by the time you get there, too. So, like, that's like with the amount of economic anxiety and uncertainty that could occur. And, you know, as a result of that, that's, you know, that has severe ramifications for, you know, higher education and a whole bunch of other jobs as well. So it's all, all this is growing at exponential rates as of um, 2018, I believe uh, AI, the capabilities of AI at that time were doubling every four months, which is about four times faster than Moore's law, which is the hardware side of things. So like, this is, you know, <clears throat> we're, we're just into, like I said before, a new episode or a new season of, uh, Man, Black I'm really mirror. getting out of the yeah, Black Mirror right now. So it's it's going to happen, and the faster it happens, is going to dictate that it happens faster. So it's kind of nature of this. Yeah, so I kind of got two, like two questions left for you on that in regards to the education now, because that's a huge that's been a huge debate over the past few years, especially since you know uh, you know President Biden took office about you know st student loans, and mm -hmm. I you know personally when it comes to the like. Up at face value, I've said this openly, like I don't care about student loans getting forgiven because from a moral standpoint, we've bailed out Yellow, who's now bankrupt. You know, we bailed out the airlines, we bailed out banks, we bailed out the auto industry. These people who are these big companies that, you know, instead of doing what's best for their customer, they did what's best for their shareholders, paid the price. You know, they'll give their CEOs raises and then they use their money for stock buybacks or whatever bullshit and then say it's for grandma uh, and then they end up going belly up when shit hits the fan. So we bail those guys out, but then we essentially gaslit an entire generation that they have to go to school, take mm -hmm. out mortgages to go to school and then be like, oh, you can't get a job. 
oh, well. And it's like, well, this is what you told me to do. So if up front, it's like student loans getting bailed out. I, I don't really have like a, an upfront, uh, you know, contempt for. But the issue is, is it doesn't solve the problem of, you know, essentially government backed loans that are going towards uh, things that we now know, jobs that we now know probably don't exist or aren't out there. And so and now we have a whole other, you know, 500 pound gorillas, you say in the room of, okay, we still have people going to school and they're paying all this money and they're still taking out student loans. Well, what's going to happen in 10, 12, the foreseeable future as the, you know, the people who are predicting this, like at Michigan, University of Michigan say, what's going to happen now with school when it becomes absolutely worthless? So, you know, going to college in some aspects is worthless. If it's not worth the money that you put in for the job you're getting, now what happens with whatever you go to school for now has lost all value. Yeah. And, you know, like AI could uh, present a lot of, uh, personalized, like uh, individualized instruction and really be a wonderful tool for like teaching people how to to research and, you know, find out new things and everything. Like I use that all the time for like just preliminary research. I'll go into chat GPT and just ask it just a barrage of questions and use that just for um, my own enemy. Uh, Well, you know, it's, it, it helps. I know, I know. But um, anyways, like I can't even get around training AI because like all these AI um, services, like uh, uh, what do you call it? Scrape my uh, Instagram and all my images. I don't want to be scraped by AI or getting scraped and fed into AI. So you really can't even get around it anymore. But um, yeah, what was I? Um, <clears throat> yeah, so like with the internet in the last 20 years, like it's been this wonderful thing where we can go get all the information that we need and do it <clears throat> um, find out any answer to any question basically at our fingertips right this wonderful thing of modern inventions um we in the last 10 years we've also seen an explosion of conspiracy theories and all that kind of stuff so just like having all that knowledge at our fingertips isn't it's great but if you don't know how to do it if you don't know like the scientific processes and like how to spell when the AI is right versus when it's wrong or, you know, how biased it could be because like bias is going to be a problem with these things. Um, You know, you can like people can do a great job educating themselves on a lot of issues, but you know, you still need that uh, framework of a university and networking opportunities and interactions with different thoughts and ideas to really get an education. Otherwise, you know, just like within social media, like, if we allow it to come to that, granted, we're kind of getting off the rails here a little bit, but like, you know, we could just get into the AI version of going down a rabbit hole where it just keeps feeding you things that it knows you want. There are things that it knows you want, and that's not really an education. You know, that's, that's kind of a whole different thing where it could actually do a lot of damage. Yeah, that I've been, I said that as soon as the chat GPT stuff was blown up uh, earlier this summer, I mean, that, my first thought and inclination was, man, like, you know, people thought 2020 was wild, a wild election, like 2024, you know, think of who, you know, think of the the types of information. I mean, shit, we saw earlier this year, the a, a Pentagon explosion hoax where, you know, major media outlets were duped into thinking that there was an explosion at the Pentagon. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different ways to manipulate it and it's only going to get, get, get better. Yeah. And that's a, that's kind of another thing about technology too, is like a lot of the discussion right now is um, uh, on misinformation and all that. Um, But it's kind of important to remember a couple of years ago that everyone was like, you know, focusing on, you know, drivers being the first people out of the, you know, being the first people negatively impacted by this AI because like back in like 2018, um, 
that's all people were talking about driverless taxis driverless trucks and all that kind of crap and the creative jobs were going to be the safest for the longest but the thing with ai is that it continually has a tendency to surprise us and surpass expectations and the surprise in this instance was is that um you know professions like i'm in within like photography for commercial photography and uh, editorial and all that kind of stuff like turns out that's going to be impacted first because of all these generative programs like chat gpt uh mid journey ai and there's the laundry list of other ones too so like <clears throat> even though like what whatever the status quo is right now um this is one of those things again where it's moving so fast that you can't put any bets on what the future is going to be with it because something could completely change the game on this in that amount of time so it's it's yeah. really hard to keep on top of it's super exhausting trying to keep up on this yeah, the, the conversations I have with uh, our my roommate down here, we we talk about how when, especially when it hits the customer service side of things, when you're dealing with like oh bank, God. when you're dealing with banking, and you're gonna have you know you're gonna you know because we're already seeing it with scams where scams are calling old people saying you know manipulating voices and they're saying that your kid's been kidnapped, you gotta pay me all this money, and it's like, but this is gonna happen in, with financial transactions in general where you're gonna have a, mm -hmm. a an AI scammer talking to the AI customer service that's working for a bank and they're going to be arguing with each other and nobody's going to be, there's going to be no humans interacting. And, and it's like that. And that's like the most absurd thing in the world. <laughs> like if it's supposed to aid communication, nobody's actually communicating. It's like, what's the point? Yeah. You know, and it's, it's such a weird thing. We're, we're almost, and it's kind of goes back. And I use this uh, reference a lot when it comes to technology, you know, the, 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 the wristwatch, was developed so that way you didn't have to reach into your pocket to tell time anymore. And now mm -hmm. we've gone back to reaching in our pockets yeah. for a time because our time is now on our phone and almost mm -hmm. essentially what's going to happen now in terms of reality is when it comes to even events, concerts, political speeches, you know, rallies, anything you're never, your people aren't, there's going to be, nobody's going to know if it's real or not. The only way you'll ever know and get the truth now is if you're actually there. Okay, so like now you're digging into a whole different thing. Um, so um, the European, there's this study that came out of the European Union that was talking about this, um, and it's called the information apocalypse, where all the generative content, all the stuff that we're going to see on our phones, all the different AI stuff is basically going to, um, there's a chance that it could become 90% of everything that we see online. And if that's the case, it's basically conditioning and training people to believe that nothing that they see online is real anymore. And if that happens, um, that's a very, 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 very bad thing for democracy and like just civil society in general, where no one is going to be able to agree on what is actually real anymore. And that's that's just a whole different conversation. That's a whole other black hole, uh, um, terrifying stuff. That's you know, AI. It, like the more that you dig into the subject with AI, machine learning, and where it could lead us, um, it gets more and more and more disturbing. Like if you really want to dig into this and, uh, <clears throat> you know, pop a couple Xanax and brace yourself. Um, there's Callum Chase's uh, The Economic Singularity where he's talking about like, you know, the progression of this going from, you know, like self-driving trucks all the way. Well, I, he mentions driverless vehicles a little bit. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, by 2040, um, our computing power is going to be 8,000 times what it is now. And by 2050, it's going to be a million times what it is now. And at that point, like, there's really not much that these machines won't be able to do. And by then, if we create an artificial and general intelligence, which is completely different than what we have now, what we have now is narrow AI. 
um, AGI is basically it can do anything. All bets are off. Um, capitalism basically breaks down, um, and it could happen before that potentially. But you know, that's that's where we open up Pandora's box. We have no idea what's on the other side of that. Yeah, because at that so, point, at that point, you're talking about self-aware. Yeah, that's the real you know Terminator type shit. Uh, well, that's like you know, like just self-awareness is one thing. We're talking about something that can like you know solve a black hole potentially or like that there's literally no limit to what this stuff can do. And then, you know, if we're talking uh, quantum computing, I don't know if you've ever dug into that. I'm trying to wrap my mind around that, but that's like literally computing with atoms. That's, you know, we're, some people are saying that we're about five years away from that. And that's again, like pouring a thousand tons of napalm on top of a dumpster fire at that point. That's, you know, it's, it's the future is going to be ex- like extremely difficult to predict, and with all that kind of stuff like that, it's I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you you, t- you want to talk about it, and if we talk about a scary evolution, is this conversation happened the way we got here today? Is all this started was because I just wanted to buy a microphone and talk about my trucking story on a podcast. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's, and then as I kept talking, I kept learning and meeting people. And then I, you know, discovered problems in the transportation industry I didn't know existed. Now I want to solve them. And then once you, you know, I started, you know, I started peeling layers back to this onion. And now here we are talking about, you know, quantum mechanics possibly solving black holes and, and being able to compute for atoms. And it's, it's kind of fascinating to me, but scary at the same time. But I, I kind of love it. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like, um, yeah, like with where this technology is right now, like people really don't realize how like good this actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw that 60 Minutes um, special that they did on AI, uh, I think it was earlier this year, but like apparently they featured a program at Google where they had like these little miniature robots um, sort of a thing. And they just told those little robots to play soccer. And, you know, they can get up and they can walk around and do all their <clears throat> um type of deals but like those that algorithm was able to figure out how to do it itself and it learned how to play soccer and then it played thousands and thousands of matches virtually like what programs in the matrix you know where they automatically download like how to fly a helicopter like and those things were like developing new strategies for like passing and you know tactics and all that kind of stuff and they actually got really good at it there's a another uh, program um that train large language models on brain activity and apparently they can reinterpret visuals from your dreams which that's the implications of that are horrifying but that's a real possibility now um you know like two years from now like we're like i can't even imagine where we're going to be at um google also figured out a way um i was at an eddie adams workshop up in upstate new york last year and um there's this representative from google there and he was saying that they figured out a way to take security camera footage um, just just the footage, no audio, and they're able to measure the vibrations of pixels and then recover that audio from the vibrations of pixels on stuff. Turn, effectively turning any camera into a microphone if you have a high enough frame rate for, um, for the shutters or high enough uh, frames per second. So like, this is just the tip of the iceberg and there's a laundry list of other um, really concerning developments out there that you know, if it gets in the wrong hands, God help us. It's, there's, there's no limit to any of this for how good or bad it could get. 
Man, down, yeah, downloading your dreams. I remember there was that guy who gave that TED talk about how he wanted to develop that technology that could do that. And I'm thinking, mm. I've I've had dreams where I've met and been like best friends with people who don't exist in my life. Like where I've had a dream where the person I'm friends with in the dream is somebody I've never met. And they've been like my best friend. And this person, is, I, I, there's somebody that somehow my mind saw them in a crowd somewhere, a Steelers game or at a, at a bar or walking out down on sixth street. And this person popped in my head and I don't have any idea who they are or their name. And yeah, that, that scares the ever living shit out of me. Yeah. But no, it's, it's crazy with where it's at right now. And this is just like, again, like two years from now, it's going to be a totally different ball game. Oh yeah. And we're going to, we're going to have to keep, we're going to do some follow-ups on this and we're going to be tracking along on this stuff. We're going to have to, as the technology progresses, we're going to have to make more more episodes on this, but I, Mm. I, I, we've been almost two hours on this and that's what happens when you peel the layers is onion back. But I do, I got one question that's, that I guess would benefit people now is I'm an 18 year, you know, you're say I'm 18 years old. You're talking to me. I'm, I'm 18. I'm not sure of my future. Number one, if I can go back to being 18 or 22, I'd probably reenlist uh, and stay in the Marines for, for that level of job security. But hmm. what, you know, what's, what's your message to somebody who's 18 years old right now? They're, they're want, they're curious about their future. They don't know what they want to do career wise. What do you, you know, I know that you're not in the business of telling, you know, giving recommendations or policies or kind of dictating one's life, but you know, say you're 18, you know, what are you, okay. what are you, what are you doing over? Where are you headed? Okay. So if I was 18, knowing what I know now, I would still do the military. I would get that post 9-11 GI bill and be in the military for as little time as possible. So you can stay out of debt later on in life. That's, that's going to be important. So that'd be the first thing as far as jobs go. Um, stay away from anything that depends upon routine. So basically that's where machine learning and all this kind of stuff shines. So like anything that relies on face-to-face interpersonal connections with people is going to be safer than jobs that aren't is basically the best recommendation that I have. Um, also this is kind of a non-answer to that. Um, AI and machine learning stuff relies um, upon data. So like if there's any sort of specific types of jobs that there isn't a lot of data to be able to auto- uh, automate, those are going to be the safest jobs out there. So um, sorry, I'm two hours into talking constantly. My brain's kind of fried right now, um, but that those would be the biggest kind of considerations there. So, um, you know, we're still going to, hopefully need teachers we're still gonna need police officers uh firefighters i don't see being automated um very soon um yeah as far as the list of jobs that are it's a much longer very longer list much longer list um but yeah i don't know it's if you're 18 stay out of debt get a good education and like the biggest thing that you should learn how to learn or should learn is learn how to learn and keep repeating that over and over again, because that's basically going to be what the future is going to require is learning new tasks and new jobs continually. So that's what you should expect. No, that's, I think that's a good answer. So stay away from data driven jobs, keep it face to face, going back to that real, real human element. I like it, man. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. So uh, before we sign off, um, you know, where can, if people want to follow your work and what you do and what you, what you post about, 
uh, if you have any of your own your own blogs, where can the people find you? Uh, yeah, so my website is uh, jamesyear.com. Um, I do have a couple images from uh, the project um, up on there. I can also be found on Instagram. Um, my handle is Y-E-A-R-J-A-N-E-S. And uh, I, in about the next month, month and a half or so, I should have the uh, website and all the content on there up and running. So that'll be a resource for drivers to get, um, get kind of spun up on things. Um, currently in final revisions now and uh, <clears throat> getting everything tweaked. So hopefully I'll have that up sooner rather than later. Awesome. And, and when you get that up, I'm definitely going to push it out, especially to everybody I'm connected with on LinkedIn, because I, like I said, if you're any, if you're a link in the supply chain, I think all of this is absolutely, you know, priceless information that I think people need to know about because if it's mm -hmm. coming, you know, whether it's coming in two years or 12 years, I mean, like when I, when I think 12 years ago now, I mean, that's, you know, it's 2010, 2011. And to me, sometimes that feels like yesterday. So it's Dude, it, 2000, 2006 is as far away as 2040. Yeah. But yeah. That, like how depressing is that? Bomb, <laughs> bombshell right there. Yeah. yeah. Total, mm -hmm. total bombshell. And we're talking yeah. the way we describe 2040 in this episode is like apocalypse. And when I think 2006, I'm thinking like, man, was it so much was it was life so much you know was was it easier because I was younger I don't know yeah maybe in some ways but just globally speaking news wise I, I don't know man it's definitely 2040 seems a lot scarier than 2006. Yeah, um, and like with everything that I said tonight too, um, I generally tend to take more pessimistic viewpoint for how things are going to go in the future with this kind of stuff because honestly I am hopeful that we'll <clears throat> find a way out of all of this, but. Um, you know, I think the wisest policy is to be skeptical and concerned early on because, you know, if if you're wrong, nothing really happens. But if you're right, then it's got to help us. You know, it's it's kind of one of those things where like there's still a lot to be hopeful for, and there's we still have agency over this change um, because it hasn't happened yet, and we really need to start talking about it. So this is kind of how we get started on all that. Yeah, yeah, I I'd have to say I agree with you. I'm. Uh... I, I talked about that. We talk about this often with friend of the show. His name's Russ Belt kid. Um, when it comes to the youth of this country, uh, you know, I have my social opinions on zoomers and, and the gen Z's, but truth, truth be told, I, I'm, I'm more hopeful than them that I am uh, pe pessimistic. And yeah, like you said, we, we do actually have the authority on this, whether we think so or not, whether it's through your, through your votes, through your, through your actions, how you interact with people on a day-to-day -day basis we do have the authority over, over our own futures. We can control our destiny. Uh, we're not under, you know, if we were under the laws of Kings and monarchies, like that of the Roman empire, I'm sure all of these tech companies would be round up and sent off to Australia or exile on some Island somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like if it wasn't a military or civic purpose, then yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. Depends on what it'd be, but. So, but uh, yeah, we're, we're not in that phase now. It's, you know, it's been here, it's been happening. So we just got to know that, you know, we own it. We, we own our future. We are the directors of our story and our history. So let's go out there and write it, write it the way we want it to happen. We want, we want it to end. Oh, actually, before we sign off, we just got a comment come in. Actually, if you got a few more minutes, do you guys sure. see de-dollarization coming? So is that like, uh, um, like a cashless society type of a thing. Uh, yeah. I'd say it probably has something to do with, yeah. Getting rid of, yeah. Like 
essentially, you know, not using fiat currency, so to speak, and must be some sort of cashless transactional society. Uh, I could, I could see it happening, but I I don't really think that it's going to be mandated by the federal government type of a deal. Like, you know, when I was working in bricks, his home, B-R-I-C-S. I believe he's talking about that one. Bricks, I, I believe he's talking about the only bricks I know of is the the alliance that uh, the Brazil, uh, the the yeah the the Bricks alliance, which has to do with like oh. Brazil, South Africa, Russia, and uh, a, a few other countries that have they they basically made their own NATO. Um, oh, okay. Um, uh, yeah, uh, I I really don't know a whole lot about that. Maybe um, I know. Uh, like China's kind of chopping at the bit for a new global reserve currency. Um, that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge with that. I, I can, I kind of know what he's saying because <clears throat> all these BRICS countries, essentially like what they're trying to do in Russia, like you have a lot of countries that are moving from using the U S dollar. So I think he's mm-hmm. talking about the, basically the, the kind of the, the global economy as a whole, like, de-dollarizing, you know, de- as in we're going to move away from the U.S. dollar as the, the primary means of, you know, what people are buying and trading with. So I think he's, yeah, seeing if there's going to be a fiscal collapse of basically the use of the U.S. dollar. Uh, I haven't really gotten to, like, specific monetary implications of, like, AI and stuff. That's a, that's a whole different subset. I've been mainly, like, focused on, uh, like, trucking transportation and you know kind of issues associated with that some of the bigger picture stuff i haven't i'd be interested to see what the result of that would be um and definitely learn more about it but uh yeah i don't have a good answer for that unfortunately yeah i i'm not the i mean i i know i've read articles about it i don't see it really happening because i mean brazil's a country that's you know it's I, it's South Africa's like their economy is not the best. I mean, Russia is a, always been a poverty country since we're talking Napoleonic era. And I can, that's a true testament because I'm reading all about it in the biography. Uh, China's another country where even though they have this powerhouse economy, Chinese citizens themselves have all their wealth locked up in real estate that no one lives in. Like, so like there's this perpetual housing bubble in China that exists where like China has all these cities, like replicas of European cities. They have an Eiffel Tower of all this infrastructure of real estate that nobody lives in, because kind of like how we value, like our retirements are in like four locked up in 401ks and investments and stuff like that. And like stocks and bonds in, in China, most of the people have their have their retirements and all their wealth tied up in real estate. And mm-hmm. so it, like, so each of these different countries around in BRICS have their, have their economic issues too, that are kind of out there. So I don't really, in regards to this gentleman's question, I don't see de-dollarization happening. I mean, I, I think that I'm bullish. I'm always bullish on the crypto market. I see that, you know, as, as cryptocurrency starts to have more utilization uh, in regards to what it could be used for, as opposed to just the sort of investment tool as it is i think we'll see some changes that way but no good good question though love to see the the interaction for some for some people we did have some live viewers tune in but hey man that that's gonna have to do it for me it's it's past my bedtime same same yeah but i, I appreciate you having you on we're de- you're definitely 
if, if you're willing to come back, I love these conversations. They're good. No matter how long they go, they're valuable. They need to be on the record. And it's like you said, we need to keep the conversation. We need to keep having the conversation. So that way, the more ears hear it, the more we can better prepare ourselves. Yeah, for sure. And then uh, once, uh, <clears throat> once I get a master's project out there and the website's live and stuff, um, I'm sure there's going to be lots of little nuggets in there that you like to dig into a bit more because, you know, this is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. And I'm sure people have a lot of questions about yeah. a lot of this stuff yet. Absolutely, man. But with uh, if you if you don't got anything else for us, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and sign off. Thanks again for coming on. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Oh, Thank uh, you. Yeah, um, can you send me an email to this episode? Oh, yeah. I'll get you all the link. Uh, it should be it, it'll be up if and if you guys are listening to this, you can find this live recording on YouTube. It'll save right up as soon as we finish recording. It's on Twitter. It's also available on LinkedIn. Check it out there. But it'll be up on Spotify, Apple, Google. I'm going to pump it out as soon as we close up. Perfect. All right, man. Thanks again. We'll talk to you. Thank you. All right, guys. That'll do it for episode 96. Thanks for tuning in. One of the longest ones yet. Uh, got a lot more coming. Like I said, I've been reaching out to a lot of drivers to keep the conversation going about all things trucking, transportation, and what's going on there in the world. Thank you once again for listening. Can't appreciate it enough. You know where to find me everywhere at Lombard Trucking. And with that, guys, we'll be back to the bench.